Oh, goodness. Hello, and welcome to Like Trees Walking. I'm Michael J. Nelson. And I am Pastor David Berge. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you what the show is, and then we'll tell you how difficult it was to get to the <laughs> point that we're at right here. This is the show where we talk about the big, important issues of life. And uh, we do it from a Christian perspective. That's right. Although we welcome all points of view to listen and think along with us. And then we do some wacky stuff, too. We have the profundity, and we have the buffoonery. Oh. How do you like that? I like that. That's another good tagline. It's right off the top of my head. Profundity and buffoonery. Buffoonery. Yes. I love it. So, like... You, which the, one are you're the profundity? I'm the, I'm the buffoonery. I, I like. I that. Hardly think that's true, but um, but David, I'm glad we're back together. It was a rough road to get I, here. You might say it's been a while. It's been a while. Well, we were the just, great stained. The great stained. I'm more of a puddle of mud guy, but you know, stained will do for a while. But Mike, Slipknot for me and my family. As for me and my house, we shall we shall listen to Slipknot. <laughs> oh my god. What an awful time to be alive. Anyways, uh, so, Mike, this was difficult to make this happen. Well, I'll tell you, I, w- I woke up this morning uh, to get ready for the podcast. Dave, uh, Dave and I do it generally pretty early in the morning. And uh, one of my technical issues, I would never have expected my lighting, to the lighting of our studio, which is in the basement, it was out. And uh, well, That's bad. It was a scramble to find... To find replacement light bulbs. Did you and, have light bulbs in the house? I did, but they don't fit, and so then I had to get an extension. And and uh, anyway, of all the things you would think in doing a podcast, <laughs> lighting would not be the issue that would have immediately come. Usually, it's a sound issue. Exactly. But then we had plenty of sound issues. However, we have overcome, and here we are. Now you know you can, and we sound great. We sound. I think we sound yeah. fantastic. <laughs> And feel free, Dave, to use the these mics have the proximity effect, so you can get that kind of oh right there FM yeah. thing. You get a little bit of that bounce back. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's good. Bringing you to the top of the hour. So we we <laughs> promise to use that sparingly, and only for effect. Now, yes, Mike. What? Oh no, he's discovered a new toy. <laughs> I did. I had, I had no idea this mic could do that. That's I, a wonderful insight. Tell me more. You went a little uh, NPR-ish there. Although, you know, you were a little too ru- rough for that. Yeah, I was a little... <laughs> a little sort of West Coast uh, morning DJ kind of, you know, uh, on, on one of their um, alternative stations. Yeah. The traffic's backed up uh, on the 405 to the 101 to the 10. But you tell you what, we're going to get you a little stained to get you into your weekend. <laughs> Man, oh, wow. <laughs> They're a hit from their 1997 record. Tell the people out there how many... Albums Stained has sold just to, oh, just just, to rock them back we on just their heels. This up. Oh, so Stained um, has sold fifteen, according to Wikipedia, has sold fifteen million albums <laughs> worldwide. So right now, as we're laughing at Stained, they're rolling around in piles of money, Scrooge McDuck style, just swimming in their own <laughs> riches, riches creases off of that song. Uh, so. In keeping with our theme of talking about the important things of life, we are going to do that in just a moment. Yep. And then later in the show, as the uh, uh, actual chronology of recording goes, we are in the middle of Wimbledon. And Dave, I believe you will be offering me a quiz today, a quiz on Wimbledon. So, yes. So tennis buffs, get your uh, thinking caps on. Straight from the All England Lawn and Tennis Club. Yes. Do you know the official name of what Wimbledon is called? We call it Wimbledon. 
Yeah, I have zero, no idea. The official name, which they started, I think they started demanding people, you know, start calling it that, the way that the Oscars, you know, the Academy Awards. Oh, you have to say the Academy Awards and not the Oscars? Yeah, you get sued. Yeah, you can't even use the term. Or like uh, when they talk about the Masters, they they always go, the Masters. A tradition unlike any other. And oh. they're literally always repeating oh, that tag. Dear. Yeah, it's Ooh. so cringe-inducing. That's like uh, based on the novel Sapphire by... Remember that? <laughs> yeah. that that's um, the official was, name of the what movie? What was the movie? It was called... Um, uh, I, well, I, Precious. Precious. Based on the novel Sapphire Sa- by... No, no, it was by Sapphire. By Sapphire. Push by <laughs> Sapphire, right? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and then it kind of became a running joke, like, to, right. like go like, you'd say something and just go, based on the novel Push by <laughs> Sapphire. It became kind of a meme yeah. in and of itself, which is funny. Yes. Uh, but the, the Wimbledon, Wimbledon is called The Championships Wimbledon. Isn't that very, that's very oh, that's British. That's very British. <laughs> you just, you, you straighten your little bow tie as you say it. So we'll do a little quiz there. But let's get in to the big topic All right. of the day. Dave, uh, what is, you may have heard this out there, this term. Uh, it goes by a couple different names. Lunatic liar or lord or the trilemma. Yeah, most of us are used to dilemmas. Yes. Right, where we're forced to choose between two options. Yes. But no, no, no. This is this a, is a trilemma. a trilemma. So three options. So this was most, uh, I, I'm sure he didn't come up with it, or maybe he did, uh, but the, the most famously associated with C.S. Lewis. Am I correct? That is correct. Do you know if he came up with it or not? I don't. I, uh, you know, I have it right here. It's very brief. Okay, you, Just you, to get you, people you in lay here, it on us. You, you lay you, it on us. All right, here it comes. Hang on. C.S. Lewis, of course, being the, uh, he was a... Uh, a medievalist, uh, a, stud- a scholar of medieval literature, um, who uh, became a famously became a Christian in the middle of his life, and then became a, a probably in the in Great Britain the most famous, um, you know, apologist in the in the uh, in the Second World War era. And so Lewis has been, any, but he was a very smart guy, but also a Christian layman. So he sort of wrote understandable apologetics defending the Christian faith and his conversion for a, a broad audience. And, and so right. he was, it, he's become very influential if he wasn't in his own time. He's incredibly influential here in America. And I believe that his, his fame uh, kind of started with the, uh, his you know, greater fame. He was well known in his own circles, but uh, with his radio talks that turned into this book, which I'm about to read from, Mere Christianity, this is him sort of collecting those talks that he did on the radio um, about Christianity. And this is the trilemma, and it's just one paragraph. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So there it is. There is the trilemma. Unpack that for us. Learned Pastor Dave. So the trilemma is that uh, the and so Lewis. This is it's good to know. There's nothing new under the sun. 
so he's saying, you know, in his day, you know, Jesus, uh, people who wanted to be respectful would be like, I'm not, I'm a fan. I'm not a follower. Yeah. You know, he is a great guy, a great human being, a great moral teacher, sort of probably the greatest humanist you know, right. uh, in all time, you know, that, that Jesus's real value is not as a religious teacher, but as a kind of, uh, as of his age, like one of the great humanists, the great teachers of um, universal human values, not any specific religious claims. They're going, I admire him as a teacher of universal humanistic values. And Lewis goes, well, no, 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 you can't do that. If you actually read the gospels and look at them and listen to the claims that Jesus is making, um, you can't sort of have that deferential thing because that's not what he said or what he did. And so if you look at who Jesus actually is, according to the New Testament records, which are the only ones we have, you know, he's making all of these claims about himself and his relationship to God, his identity with God and as God. And so you go, well, if he's saying these things and doing these things, this is the focus of his life. I mean, you basically have to distill, you can only... take like two sayings of Jesus if you want him to be like the great moral teacher, sort of the golden rule Jesus, which strips away 99% of everything else he did. He said, if you want to deal with Jesus as Jesus is presented to us in the New Testament, you look at these claims of, of that he made up for himself and you go, he's either right about, you know, it's either true what he's saying or he's either deluded, um, you know, a raving madman, um, like the, Delusions of grandeur and yeah, yeah, yeah. God complex. We've all seen people with mental illnesses making all sorts of you know claims that we we know are a product of their mental illness, or he was you know an insidious liar attempting to deceive other people. He you know he either believed his own you know BS and was a, a lunatic, or he didn't believe it but said it anyways, which would make him this you know very devilish liar or. You know, he really was who he said he was. So he's saying basically you can't take this, um, uh, you can't take Jesus seriously and take this sort of, yes, 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 you know, pat on the head, uh, teacher of universal human values. You know, he either was who he said he was, or he was a uh, evil liar or a madman. Yeah, and he, he leads into it. Obviously, this is the end of a chapter, and he leads into it. And one of the things he said is, what would you say about a guy who goes around saying, I forgive you of your sinning against someone else? You know, this, yeah. is, this is not the stuff that normal people say. So he is making some extraordinary claim with that, not to mention all of the claims towards, uh, uh, you know, deity that he makes. And uh, so, yeah, too extraordinary to just say, you can't strip that out because... <laughs> As you said, when you strip that out, you have three or four sayings, you know, which are sort of nice, I guess. Yeah, and if you look at it, I think you look even at a, um, you mentioned in, it was either the last pod of the pod before that, that you and your wife are studying Mark, and there's not a whole lot of teaching or words of Jesus in that. It's a lot of Jesus doing things, yeah. especially in relationship to, like, uh, unclean spirits or, or demonic spirits, you know, that that's like a ton of what's going on right. in Mark is like Jesus versus the evil spirits. And so there's really not much that he's saying there or teaching there. It's all the things that he's doing um, at, that are conveying this message. And so there's not like these universal human humanistic values or virtues that he's even teaching there. It's the, you know, confrontation of the kingdom of God versus sort of the, the kingdom of the devil. And like, Jesus thought he was locked in this battle against, you know, the cosmic dark powers of sin and evil. And that's our earliest best record of who he was. You could go like, yeah, he was wrong about that, you know, 
totally wrong, deluded, you know? Um, And so he was, you know, a lunatic, or you could say just a a product of a false, you know, false consciousness of a false age. We now know better. Or, you know, you could say that he knew that wasn't true and he was deceiving people. Or he really was locked in this apocalyptic struggle. Um, And this did happen. And he did win this victory through the cross. So it's, uh, you know, to take Jesus seriously on his own terms, we bring ourselves into the trilemma. Right. Uh, A good point about that, as we were just reading today, we went through uh, a chapter of Mark, I think it's in nine, the transfiguration. Yeah. And so, you know, great teachers don't generally take you up onto a mountaintop and and transform themselves into a, a white so bright that it terrifies you and hurts your eyes. And then you think that it's the second coming of prophets and all of this. That generally doesn't happen with really good professors or whatever, or or just decent, you know, good old human beings who uh, are humanists. Yeah, so I, I think what's the, uh, you know, so what's the objection to the trilemma? Or the, I, there's uh, evasion? a lot of objections, and f- before we get into those, let's just say C.S. Lewis didn't intend this as a serious, I mean, uh, and by serious, I mean like a deep apologetic. He was answering a very specific pretty uh you already framed it up yeah. it's it's a very specific thing he's trying to get to so there's not a lot that you can hang on this this is not going to convince anyone into the kingdom of god or anything like that it, it may have if that if that was their particular objection i'm just saying it's not this is not a weighty scholastic argument it's a rhetorical one that has a really good point so the objection could be i don't have to take your trilemma i could say that the writers of this book made it up yeah I could say Jesus never existed, uh, a fairly ridiculous claim, but you can say that. In other words, you don't have to enter into the trilemma at all if you choose not to. Right. You can you can walk by it, but um, I think that uh, you know for um, for people who want to who do say you know that it's it's him really just I mean answering this very specific objection like he's a great guy you know and it's yeah. kind of a top to you're taking him too serious yeah what he really wanted to do was just come and be a good hippie dude and say come on guys can't we all love each other and and uh, be sort of mellow and and i think that the you know people who object one of these things is that they go well no no, no jesus like what's happened and this is the common refrain that you hear over and again like he, there is the humanistic jesus is there He's just been, it's been embroidered or lost because of the gospel writers had their own agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, they had their religious political agenda that they wanted to push. And so they invented, they took, you know, the basic material of Jesus and invented all this stuff around him to suit their own agenda. So what we need to get back to, you know, we need to get rid of the husk and go to the kernel, you know. Um, the quest the, for the real Jesus. Yeah, and so that's what you see in a lot of these quests for the historical Jesus is, you know, and um, N.T. Wright puts this really well where, where he says, you know, people, these people, scholars who were questing for the historical Jesus in the post-Enlightenment era, you know, were looking down the dark well of history. And what most of them found at the bottom was a, refl- you know, a, yeah. a dimly lit reflection of their own faces. Yeah. You know, that whatever our particular agenda is, um, oh, funny. It, funny. it turned she, out at the end of the day. Did you know that Jesus was a post-Enlightenment, you know, uh, uh, small L uh, liberal humanist? You know, jeez, yeah. uh, who would have thought? Or did you know that he was a, uh, you know, a, a pacifistic, uh, you know, uh, communist uh, sympathizing hippie? Like, 
like these sort of things are um uh, are kind of the moves that people make is saying the gospel writers themselves were intentionally or not being misleading and so we have the ability um to recover the real Jesus, who is the great teacher who we can respect. But Lewis is saying, no, 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 you got to take, you have to, if you take the gospel seriously, you can't make this, um, you can't make this claim. Yeah. And I I think fair-minded people read through, read Mark, for instance, read what, why would, that would be a very odd story to make up (laughs) if you had this, you, let's say that their version of it was true and you had the nice, hippie humanist Jesus just walking around preaching peace, why can't we all love each other, then when you read Mark, it does not make any sense what they were trying to get out of this, because they're constantly confused, they don't understand his message, they're not the heroes of the story, he's also wandering around doing all these healings, like what were they trying to get out of this? They, they were baffled by his behavior often, so... They that is just a very odd. You would not make that story. It's, up. Yeah, the the Gospel of Mark, which is the oldest record. It's just yeah, it doesn't fit that that humanistic narrative uh, whatsoever. It's too action. It's too action focused, uh, and not the, you know we we're looking for what gurus, teachers, self help people, mm-hmm. and so we want to transform Jesus into that. I think it's just the sort of applying the same standard of skepticism. If we reject and say there's got to be a real Jesus. Um, these people had agendas, and they they push those agendas on Jesus to paint this specific portrait specific portrait of him. If we have that same skeptical standard for those people, we should probably look at ourselves and think that we have that same you know we have that same agenda that we're bringing to Jesus as well. And what is that? We want him to basically co-sign on whatever we right. already think and already believe. So if they're subject to that, why would we be? immune from it, you know, at the distance, at the remove of 2,000, you know, 2,000 years or whatever. Right. So there it is. That is the trilemma. And uh, to discover more, first of all, just pick up Mere Christianity. Read the whole thing. It's an easy read. It's a breezy read. He was talking to the people. Um, It was one of the first books when I became a Christian that sort of gave me that shock of like, oh, wow, this is how we can think about this. It's, It's a very... It's a very thrilling book to read, even if you're not on board or whatever, just listen to his arguments and, and you know, that tone that he has, like, you know, the, the foolishness, avoid this fool. It sounds, on the reading, sometimes it sounds a little harsh, but um, he was a very gentle man. He was doing it with good humor and, and grace, and, and there's a lot of that in there, so... And these read are that. Ra- yeah, I mean, they're based on radio addresses, so there's a very, there's yeah, a, yeah. There's a very dialogical, um, you know, component to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but check it out, and that is uh, hopefully we've got you interested in whetted your whistle. What? What? Did you ever know anybody who says that? I I did know a guy. He was an older gentleman who did the. <laughs> he would wind up with the H first and on a WH word. I found it extremely annoying. It is so annoying. What? What your whistle? whistle. On that note, uh, let's take a little <laughs> break, and we will be back. In just a moment.
Everyone, Pastor Dave here with our little break in the action so I can make our annual appeal. And if you're listening to this appeal, you know what it's coming from, uh, where it's what I'm getting at. It's uh, we need you to rate and review this podcast. So far, we have 36 five star reviews. It's so good. And uh, just giving a star review is is great. We really, really appreciate it. But the best thing ever is uh, is when people actually take time and sit down and write a little review for us. Uh, this brings joy to my heart. And I'm, I'm telling you people, at least two, three times a week, I go look up the podcast and I want to see if people have left a rating or a review. Uh, I mean, I'll say we just got one last Thursday from uh, Eager Frustrated Nerd, uh, which thank you, Eager Frustrated Nerd. I'm glad we could, uh, we could uh, whet your whistle of, of intellectual curiosity. He did not say that. But, uh, but uh, you know, we really, really, really appreciate um, all, the, all the feedback, all the support, all of the sharing. So go on iTunes, rate us, review us. You can find us online at LikeTreesWalkingPod.com. Um, follow Mike at, at Michael J. Nelson or at David underscore Berge or at LTWPod. I don't have any more ats coming at you. Uh, or you can like us on Facebook. So thank you so much, folks. Uh, let's get back to the show. But uh, rate, review, share. And we are back. Yes, for the first time. So good <laughs> to be back. For the very first time. We certainly didn't prattle on for, oh, seven minutes <laughs> with me not having the record button hit. We certainly didn't do that. And if you think we did, I, I don't know why. There was no golden reflections on the Berenstein Bears and the Berenstein Bear effect. No, nothing no. was said. No, nothing. Very was. witty bone mows being dropped by each of us. Golden nuggets of wisdom <laughs> tucked in between the humor. <laughs> no. No, we didn't do that. Yes, that's actually what happened. But we're back again, Dave. <laughs> it's good to be back. And I apologize for that. Um, we were talking about the trilemma. Yes, yes, the famous trilemma. Yes. Uh, instead of the two horns, because I remember when we did this just moments I, ago, I stuck we were my fingers on my head thing. with two horns. No, it's trilemma like a triceratops. Right. It's a trilemma. The three things, Lord, it's, you know, you, instead of saying trilemma, you can say Lord lunatic or a liar. Basically, Lord is Jesus is who he says he is, or and, and who the Gospels portray him as, or he's a stark, raving madman who would go around, you know, you know, sort of a tragic, pathetic figure, you could say, or he's an insidious, evil, deceptive liar who, you know, uh, by hook and crook, somehow managed to whip up, you know, the unwashed masses into this enthusiastic mob following him around, and then he met his, you know, tragic, um, tragic end. In Jerusalem, but somehow still managed to trick these people into continuing to lie and say that he was alive, and, and right, and go to their death for him. Oh, but we also talked about the Berenstain Bears. Can you just recreate <laughs> one thing for me? I know this—it's so painful to you know. <laughs> go back. We don't need to pretend that we're doing this for the first time. But uh, the Berenstain Bears—I did not know. He, David was oh, just telling me. Yeah, so I was telling Mike because we were talking about the Berenstain Bear effect, which is Mike described as people swear that it was like spelled different like the berenstein bears when they were kids and And there's a bunch of phenomenon like that look it up they're very funny and you may be falling into the trap on one of them but isn't uh, the because does the kazam 
like Shazam fall into the Berenstain Bear effect? I think I, I think it does. I okay. think I've heard about that as well. So yeah, there's a bunch of those. But anyway, you revealed this well, interesting so, fact. Yeah, I was say, when I, we were talking about the Berenstain Bears and saying that um, whoever kind of was it Jan Berenstain? Is that who like wrote it or whatever? I don't. Yeah, Jan and it was like a husband wife. Yeah, like, like a, I think. Yeah, I think so too. We'll go with that until someone tells us we're wrong, and we, we will <laughs> we'll put in our correction, correction show. But anyways, whoever it was, the family member that inherited this uh, became a Christian, and so the Berenstein Bears books, like for art that are being published now, are kind of I would say like Christian like Christian literature or Christian morale. Like the Bears and Bears might even be like doing devotions and praying before bed and reading the Bibles. And so this is a very disturbing turn for people who grew up with the more secular Bears and Bears. And uh, now they see them as they, they've become uh, Christians. And so this is a very, very, very disturbing um, phenomenon. Well, I talk about you ruined my childhood, right? The, uh, you know, the, this is a big one for a lot of people. You know, they were just a nice secular Jewish family, the Berenstein Bears, <laughs> and then they became yeah. Christians, and it ruined everything for these people. So, uh, But I am glad that when yeah, I... Yeah, they did a Seder meal, they did their duty, but they weren't real serious about it. They were sort of culturally Jewish. <laughs> when the role is called up yonder, I'm just glad that I will see the Berenstein yes. Bears there at the throne of the Lamb. Yes. Anyway... <laughs> But it that is kind of, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. That is. That is. Um, now, you have a quiz for me, and this is because um, we're in the middle of Wimbledon right now. Oh, Mike, you can't just call it Wimbledon. The Championships Wimbledon. <laughs> Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Players resume. Yes, Wimbledon, the peaceful, gentle uh, tennis game played now over three weeks. Used to be over two weeks. Um, They're really stretching it out now. Yes, at the uh, at the Wimbledon Club, six miles, I believe, northeast of London. So, who knows? Because I profess to be something of a tennis fan, Dave is going to quiz me. He's going to turn the tables on me and put me on the dock, as it were. A tennis, a tennis quiz. Uh, they, this is the sport of kings, right? Uh, Wasn't that polo? Chess, or I don't know. What's polo? Do they call tennis anything? I know the king of instruments is the organ, which that doesn't seem to make sense. No. But, um, I don't know. The sport of kings? Is, is that, that polo? That... Is that like hunting? <laughs> is that dressage? I want to say it's chess. Okay. It's like a kiss. It can't be. Well, this is like a very obvious thing that we're not going to Wikipedia right now, but just. It seems like it could be applied to a lot of things, so I don't know. It's got to be polo. Uh, jousting? I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Why did I even bring that up? Okay, anyways. So a quiz about tennis, which may or may not lay claim to the title Sport of Kings. Okay, so uh, how long, my question number one, yes. how long was the 6-4, so that was the last set, was won uh, by, was, did John Isner win it? Uh, I think Isner yeah. did. He beat Nicholas Mahout. Yeah, uh, seventy games to sixty-eight in the fifth set in twenty ten. So, how long was that match, Mike? Was it eight hours thirteen minutes, eleven hours five minutes, fourteen hours one minute, or nineteen hours fifty-nine minutes? I'm going to say I knew it was over two days. Obviously, yeah. Um, I do know that they have since become pretty good friends because they went through such an odd thing together. I think it was fourteen hours. Okay, fourteen hours one minute. Oh, I'm sorry. It was 11, 11. hours, five uh, minutes. What a what a, what a match! That is a uh, 
That is a bit of trivia there. Ooh, Mike, who is Rufus? Is it the Hawkeye computer? Rufus the Racket, the ofi- official 2015 tournament mascot? The resident hawk for deterring local pigeons? Or the mysterious man in the Stetson hat who sits in the player's box? <laughs> this is a curious George playing tennis? Um, I think it's the hawk that I, I know they have a hawk to get the pigeons out of there. So it, oh, so you think it's the resident hawk for I deterring them? I do. Uh, yes, you are correct, yeah. Michael J. Nelson. Very good job. All right. Question three. When did Serena Williams win the first of her five Wimbledon singles titles? And who did she beat in the final? Was it 2000 versus Lindsay Davenport? 2002 versus her sister Venus? 2004 versus Maria Sharapova? Or 2006 versus Amelie Maresmo? Oh, I don't think she's been playing. uh, I think I'm going to say 2000. 2000 versus Davenport? Yeah. Two thousand two versus her sister Venus. Wow, Remember wow. that was when everyone was like, "Well, one will like let the other one win," or you know, people were like, "Yeah, they've played probably a handful of times." But Serena dominates Venus. She does now, and Venus was you know when when they were starting out as the older sister, she was yeah, of course, the star, and then to be surpassed by her sister like that. Oh, like this. Sorry to break in the middle of the quiz, but this question reminds me because I was going to say, well, Serena, I mean, she's the goat, you know, female tennis. She's the greatest of all time. And did you hear about the controversy with John McEnroe recently? Yeah. I was listening. So here's what bothers me so much is I was listening. I was driving to church that morning, listening to the interview on NPR. So I was listening like live to the weekend edition broadcast of this interview. Mm -hmm. And when I was listening to it, I was like, that was just a weird follow I was like listening to it and the what the questioner was doing I, I could hear it on the spot I was like this is really weird like McEnroe goes yeah I mean she's the greatest female tennis player ever you know and there and then he's like well why do the qualifier John that she's the greatest female why not just say the greatest player ever and then she's like well he's like well because if she played on the men's circuit she'd get killed she'd be 700 and that somehow became a fake controversy that it is the weirdest one. I, I like that he refused to apologize because it is flat out the most obvious thing. He said the greatest female tennis player of all time. That's not an insult. No. Females don't play men. If the, if there was no qualifier, then there would just be called tennis players. But see, they're divided into two divisions. And I and I we're not saying this is show we enjoy female women's tennis is a great sport. Yeah. She it's I wonderful. agree one hundred percent with him. She is the greatest Without a doubt, it was just so we- it was so weird to be listening to it and being like in real time, like, oh no, she's not trying to like make this like yeah, a thing, is she? she? Is. And then it became a thing, and that's why I say, you know, other generations would say, may we live in interesting times. Now, yeah, I, well, now I think we may may we live in stupid times. I'm sure he's thanking her because he's doing a book tour. That was what it was for. So all, oh, the, so all the controversy can only help, Mister. There's Matthew. no there's no such thing as bad press. And that's Serena right. Serena is the goat, absolutely. All right. Uh, in 1975, who beat Jimmy Connors to become the oldest men's champion in the open era? A record which still stands. Was it, <clears throat> excuse me, Arthur Ashe, Rod Laver, um, Ken Rosewall, or Ely Natase? Rocket Rod Laver is not it, I don't think. I'm going to, and I don't think it was Ken Rosewall. Um, I'm going to say Ely Nastasi. Okay. Sorry, it was the great Arthur Ashe. Okay. I didn't know he was that old in 75. Hmm. He's probably like... This is a tough quiz. I I don't profess to know a lot about just Wimbledon, especially not in 1975. This is good. To what precise length is the grass on Wimbledon courts? Five millimeters. Okay. That was one of the choices in the multiple choice. Oh, and Mike said it with such confidence. It's eight millimeters, Mike. 
are you sure this year? It says eight they millimeters. They just were talking about it yesterday. Well, when's this quiz from? You sent me the quiz. Mike. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, we'll look it up. We'll look it up. Okay. Oh, before Rafael Nadal, uh, 2008, 2010, and Goran Is- Ivanisevic, 2001, who was the last left-hander to win the men's singles? Was it Jimmy Connors in 82, McEnroe in 84, Ed Berg in 90, or Michael Stitch in 91? Well, I think Stieck was left-handed, so I'm going to say Michael Stieck. Michael Stieck! Oh, I'm sorry, it was John McEnroe in 1984. Stieck wasn't left-handed. Wow, they tricked me with that. Hmm, okay. All I'm right. doing horribly. I know, I love it. <laughs> okay, question seven of, uh, uh, I don't know, 15 or something. Which player won the men's doubles title nine times between 93 and 04? Was it Todd Woodbridge, Bob Bryan, Mark Woodford, or Mike Bryan. Could you give me the years again, please? 93 to 04. Oh, well, the Bryan brothers can't have been playing quite mm-hmm. that long. So I'm going to say, I think it's Woodford. I know he played for many years. It was Todd Woodbridge. Oh, Woodbridge. He chose the wrong. <laughs> I think he was... they played together as doubles for a little bit. He, was an... he won six titles with Mark Woodford. And three with Jonas oh, Bjorkman. So I was. So we did play with him. Yeah. So, uh, I, that's tricky. God. That's very tricky. Ooh, who holds the record for the fastest ever serve at Wimbledon? One hundred forty-eight miles an hour. Is it Greg Radeski, Mark Filipusis, Ivo Ivo Karlovich, Doctor Ivo, or t- Taylor Dent? Uh, this is tough because it could be any of They're them. They're all big. I believe that Rusedski used to have it, so I'm going to say that because it's Taylor Dent. Wow, did he? So he just did it. In 2010. I mean, just. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Who has reached the most men's singles finals without winning the title? Jim Courier, Jimmy Connors, Pat Rafter, or Andy Roddick? Mm. Oh, Roddick is known for it, so I'm going to say it and be wrong. Andy Roddick. You are right. <laughs> he, right. He reached it three times and lost to uh, Federer each time. And was it ever even close? Yeah, there was a classic match. I believe there's a five setter that he lost in heartbreaking fashion. Did he? He won one major, right? Roddick. He must have yeah. won the U.S. Open. Yeah, he won the U.S. Open yeah. one time. Otherwise, he would have been an abject failure. Oh no, he was. I know he was a fun he player, a but he player. always lost, man. He he was unfortunate to live in an era of Federer. Yeah, uh, and uh, Djokovic at the end of his career because he hasn't been retired that long. No, and, and he still plays pretty well. Yeah, once famously dated Lindsay Lohan, right? I think he's so. married to some actress, I believe. Yeah, but I good for you, Andy. They all like Pete Sampras. Like, yeah, he's married to uh, uh, Tommy Boy. No, uh, <laughs> the Adam Sandler movie where yes. he goes back to school. Oh, um, uh, Billy Madison. He's married to Mrs. Billy Madison, whatever her name. So is. hot, so on to <laughs> touch the hiney. You make him sound like an old woman. He does. It's the weirdest character. <laughs> what an amazing movie. If you were like 12, like I was when that came out, it was probably one of the greatest comedies I ever made. I thought it was, I was in, uh, at Universal, we were doing some um, stuff with Universal Studios at the time that was being made, and we knew the production people. Yeah. And so I had to go see the premiere of it, and had to stay for it, <laughs> and it was just torturous. It was like, 
But it uh, was so bad that uh, I wanted the script for it. I wanted to see where it actually said in the script, want to touch the hiney. So they gave me one of the original scripts. What happened to it? somewhere in my house. We'll we'll do a reading from it next time. Want to touch the hiney. Cow. Okay. Uh, uh, You got that one right, though, Andy Roddick. You're right. Oh, um, question 10. How did... Tim Henman's great-grandmother make history at Wimbledon in 1901. She was, one, the first woman to serve over arm. She won the women's singles title without losing a single game. She was the last British woman to win a singles title. She refused to wear a long gown and forced to change, forced to change in the dress code. Oh, 1901 yeah. seems a little early for the dress thing, but that sounds like the most enticing. I'll bite on that. All right. No, she was the first woman to serve Sir over arm. Uh, yeah, before it was all the sidearm. Wow. That's still how I serve a sidearm. <laughs> do you really? Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's tricky. It is. It's too hard to serve overhand. So do you then you sort of dink it over? Do you do drop shots yep. for your serve? Yep. Oh, Put a lot right. of backspin on that. Oh, you were one of those people I would just loathe playing you. Yeah. All right. Number 11. In which year did Cliff Richard turn a rain <laughs> delay into an impromptu center court concert? I don't even know. who Who is Cliff Richard? He is like an elder statesman of British blue-eyed soul music. Okay. Uh, I can't think of any hits, 94, but... 96, 98, or 2000. Ugh, 96. Yeah, let's... Yeah, you're right. Great, <laughs> great guess. Oh, he's oh, he sang Singing in the Rain and other absolute classics. I love that. Oh, um, what was the last men's single final that didn't feature Federer, Djokovic, or Nadal? That's a good question. You're going back a while, always. Sampras, Filipusis, uh, Ivanisevich, Rafter, Krychek, Washington, or Hewitt, Nelbandian. Since he was the most recent, I'm going to say Hewitt. Yeah, I thought Hewitt. Nelbandian. Hewitt, Nelbandian. Mal- was it Malavia, Washington? He made a Malavia, Malavia, Washington. Yeah, he was great. I yeah, loved he was him. great. Yeah, you were right. Hewitt, Nelbandian. Yeah. In 02. Think about it. It's been 15 years. <laughs> I. It's incredible for those guys to dominate that long. Mm. How many singles titles did Martina Hingis win between 95 and uh, 2007? One, three, five, seven. Well, we're talking about just Wimbledon titles, yes, right? Yes, yes. So I'm going to just say three. Just one. Oh, okay. The great Mar- Did anything bad happen to Martina Hingis? She didn't get no, stabbed, did she? did not okay. get stabbed. Okay. You know, there's that a, was... a, a new one. Who, what, uh, I think, uh, um, what is her name? She's an Eastern European player whose name I can't think of right now. A home intruder. Just, I think it's, is it Petra Kvitova? Well, yeah, she, sure. They stabbed her hand and cut her tendon. And Why? It was, uh, it was a home intruder. I don't know. Then pulled a knife on her. You familiar with, familiar with the song Bed Intruder? I do not. Know. Climbing in your windows, oh, yeah, your oh, people yeah. up. <laughs> hide your kids, I, hide your wife. Yes, I'm very familiar with that now that you <laughs> mention it. Uh, one of the Gregory brothers is a is a Christian. Who's Elder. The, the Gregory brothers? Yeah, they're the guys who did, made that. Oh, the auto tune guys. Yeah, the auto tune oh, guys. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know they had yeah. the name. I just called them. Yeah, the they're auto-tune. called the Gregory brothers, and oh. he's like a elder at like a one of my favorite churches in New York City. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Gregory brothers trivia. Uh, and they pay. And like the guy who Antoine Dotson, who they. You know, made that with people like, oh, they're just exploiting him. No, Antoine Dodson got like paid off of that too. Yeah, so yeah, he's, I did hear yeah. that. Yeah. So they did write by Antoine. Yeah. So, um, okay. Come on, Tim. What's the closest Tim Henman came to winning Wimbledon? Was he British? Yes. He oh, was so he the, was like that. He was the like, hope before. Uh, he was like the loser before Murray, actually. Before Murray, yeah. Okay. Oh, come on, Tim. 
Uh, what's the closest he came? Quarterfinalist, semifinalist, uh, runner-up. Um, he won it in 1999. Oh, I don't think he won it. I mm. think Murray was the... So, I don't know. I would say semis, just because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about Yep, he made the semis. Yeah. Uh, he made it in 98, 99, 2001, and 2002. Oh, dear. Heartbreaking for those Brits. When did Andy Murray make his Wimbledon debut, and how far, how far did he progress that year? 2004, quarterfinals. 2005, third round. 2006, qualifiers. 2007, first round. I'm going to say uh, seven, first round. No, he made the third round in 05. Okay. Mm, should I share your result? Congratulations. You got five right out of 15. <laughs> Those were very hard. I thought when you started with that hawker, you did really good with the hawk. That was just incredible. I'm still, I wonder if they didn't, I think they shortened the grass, but I, uh, all right, we'll look it up and we'll, we'll include that in the next, uh, like trees walk. Why would they shorten the grass? To change the speed. I think they're, they, ch- they changed the, uh, you know, the, the weight of the ball and things like that. And I, I, and they changed the dampness of the ground itself. And I, I, they were saying that the grass was, I thought I heard them say five millimeters. Was the grass too, the grass, it, you wouldn't want to make it shorter, it would make it faster, right? Uh, no, because it's, if it's wet, then the grass being a little longer is faster. So I don't know. I, I don't know all the physics that go into it. Look. I only got five right. I clearly don't know anything. No, you don't. It. And Mike, I'm looking at the. I'm looking. I looked at the official Wimbledon website and eight millimeters. Even this year. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's right. I'll take my medicine. That's how big a man I am. And, <laughs> and with my failure, we come to the end of another like trees walking. But please join us again as we. Uh, Maybe turn things back around and focus on Dave again with our quizzes because that was too rough for me to take. But uh, Dave, any parting words? No, thanks for listening and uh, come back next time. (laughs) Thank you all. So long.